You're hanging out After Hours with Matt Anderson, presented by Inside the Gamecocks. Welcome into the Late Night Gamecock Show. I am your host, Matt Anderson, and I am recording this show on September 7th, 2023. Uh, it's a Thursday night. It's the Thursday night before the Gamecocks take the field against Furman on Saturday in the home opener at williams Bryce Stadium. Excited to kind of wash everything out of our system from the game against North Carolina. Um, a tough one on, on many counts. But before we um, kind of close the book on the North Carolina-South Carolina game this past Saturday, um, did want to make note that some exciting things are happening with the Late Night Gamecock Show. Moving forward on Monday nights, you will be able to join me on YouTube. Um, Phil Mullinax will be our producer on the YouTube show and at Nine o'clock every Monday night, you'll get to see my face for radio in person, and we'll be able to talk some Gamecock Athletics live with you. So really excited about that. So mark your calendars um, for Monday, and that will be Monday, September 11th. Yeah, so we will um, definitely honor um, all those lost um, September 11th so many years ago. But um, yeah, we'll be starting this show on on. On Monday, September 11th, on the live show. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to interacting with all of you. And um, sometimes these monologues can go a little long. So I'll be happy to have some breaks, some breaks in there. But um, so that's good news. Um, if you don't have time to hop on on YouTube or um, live, you know, don't worry. You're not going to miss anything. The show will still be available um, on YouTube to watch at a later date, kind of in perpetuity. And the same way you're listening right now, you'll still be able to find it on whatever podcast form um, you listen to your streaming stuff. So excited about that. Oh, man. So closing the book on North Carolina. Um, I talked a lot about the North Carolina game on Monday's show. Went back and rewatched the game before that show. So if you want a full breakdown of my thoughts, be sure to pause this and head over to Monday's show for a full breakdown and come right back and we'll talk a little bit about North Carolina here, but I don't want to spend too much time on the North Carolina game, but having a few days to distance myself from the disappointment and talking to some other folks around the program, I do have the following takeaways that I think are relevant. Spencer Rattler probably played one of the top three to five games of his career Saturday night. And it's a shame that the offensive line played as poorly as they did. Uh, South Carolina never got the running game going, and North Carolina chirped after the game that they knew it was a pass or run nearly every play of the game before the snap. If that's true, then it's it's hard for me to fault the running backs too much. There often wasn't much room for them to maneuver anyway, but they still have to make players miss from time to time and create yards after contact. So disappointed a little bit in the running backs, but if they knew if the defense knew it was a running play, you know what what can you do? Um, I will say the wide receiver is going to be really good this year. Juice Wells and Xavier Leggett, they're both primed for big seasons. They're both going to be NFL draft picks, I think. I think Amarion Brown, outside of that drop, was having a really good game. And I think the Gamecocks have really good starting three wide receivers. And I've talked to people outside of the Gamecock program who think that South Carolina might have um, the, the top two wide receiver duo in, in the SEC. And when I say top duo, I mean Juice and Xavier Leggett might be the, the two best wide receivers on a team in the SEC. So that's big time. Tight ends didn't really get a chance to show what they could do Saturday night, but I still have high hopes for them long term. 
Offensive line has simply got to play better. They need to find the five guys that match the, the mesh the best together and just let them play and let them mash. <laughs> let them try and do something different than what they did on Saturday night because there's too, there's still too much uncertainty across the, the offensive line for game two of the season. Some of these guys need to step up and play a lot tougher than they did Saturday night. I don't know if it was the bright lights or North Carolina blitzing 50% of their defensive plays, but at some point you have to know who you're blocking and you have to allow Spencer time to evade a blitz and make a play downfield. And that didn't happen nearly enough Saturday night. Stepping back from the game, I do think the defense played a pretty good game. You know, I taking a couple days and you know talking to people reading some thoughts um, re-watching the game kind of letting everything marinate and sink in I don't think the defense played an awful game there were two plays that the defense allowed for 30 plus yards but outside of those mistakes they kept North Carolina in front of them and they played well enough in my opinion for South Carolina to have won the game with any kind of consistent blocking from the offensive line uh, the Gamecock defense forced two turnovers but also failed to force the North Carolina punt. So the, the two 30-plus yard gains and not generating nearly enough tackles for loss or stops in big moments of the game just really did spell doom for South Carolina. I thought the defensive line held up well throughout the game. I don't really have too much to him and Holland when it comes to them because South Carolina only blitzed around 30% of the time in that ball game. So you're not going to get many tackles for loss or, or sacks in general bringing – you know, four guys very often and, and, you know, not blitzing, you know, really allowed Drake may to get a lot of time in the pocket and extend plays with his legs, which, um, you know, when you extend plays with your legs, it's not always just rushing for a first down. Sometimes it's also just allowing a play to develop 30 yards downfield, which killed the Gamecocks time and time again against North Carolina. I think that the, that Clayton White showed a lot of respect for Drake may and there's not going to be a lot of Drake Mays we play against. And South Carolina, honestly, made Drake May look pretty – I mean, don't get me wrong, he had a good game, but he, he looked kind of pedestrian against some other SEC quarterbacks that the Gamecocks face year in and year out. Um, when you talk about the linebackers, for as many snaps as the linebackers played, I commend them. They played hard and tough, and they made plays both downhill and sideline to sideline, so hats off to them. The defensive backfield was kind of hit or miss for me. Losing Nick Imanwara on the first defensive play of the game was a killer, but Jalen Kilgore came in and played hard and filled in admirably. The defensive backfield had two plays they would love to get back, but they also forced two turnovers and gave the offense a chance to get back in the game towards the end. The Gamecock offense just has to find a way to punch at least one more touchdown in while they were in the red zone and, and get that game back to you know where it was competitive. And, you know, put some pressure on North Carolina. And if that had happened, I think the game could have been much different. Uh, I don't really have much to say about special teams, except that I felt like they played really well and did their job for the most part. The onside kick recovery to start the second half was a thing of beauty. Ultimately, I don't think anyone in the building or close to the football staff or players thought the offensive line would play as poorly as they did. I don't think Spencer thought that was going to happen. I don't think... Lonnie Teasley thought that was going to happen. Certainly not Shane Beamer. There were concerns, but nobody thought it was going to be that bad. Um, I think that Shane Beamer said that only one or two of the sacks were on the were on a quarterback or skill player, either missing a block or quarterback taking a sack. They probably should have got rid of the ball or done something different. So 
that the other seven sacks were only offensive line, and the offensive line knows what the national media and fan base is saying about them right now, and they've been challenged to rebound. But after what I saw Saturday night, there will have to be a lot of changes made, both in coaching and what the players do on the field, because, man, coaching might mean designing some short passes or reverses, maybe some pop passes to move the defense sideline to sideline and make them react instead of just putting their head down and pushing downfield. Far too often, North Carolina was able to pin their ears back and just get after Spencer. And there's got to be some things that the coaching staff can do to make the defense play sideline to sideline and make them respect something out of the backfield that could you know pop for a big, long game. Needless to say, South Carolina has his work cut out for them. If the offensive line can improve, I mean, I don't think there's any reason to believe that South Carolina is like inept at other positions. It's just the offensive line played so badly. And, you know, you had a couple of miscues in the defensive backfield, but, you know, I think if they can, if they can get the offensive line, just like slightly below average to average, um, Gamecocks still have a chance to have a, have a good year. And I'm not a sun, I'm not trying to sunshine pump anything. I'm just saying that based on what I saw Spencer Rattler do, what I saw Xavier do, what I know that, the tight ends can do what I know the juice can do. I just know that the offense can be really good and, you know, maybe one dimensional at times with the running back room, but they're going to have to figure that out. But I mean, you know, coming into the season, I was like, Hey, you know, maybe eight, nine, 10 wins. Um, and I was really optimistic for, you know, nine or 10. I'm thinking that the ceiling now is probably in that seven, eight window. Maybe if lightning, they strike lightning, they could get to nine, but I mean, that's just going to be, a, that's going to be hard. So, you know, let's say seven, seven wins is kind of what we're shooting for at this point. Um, unless the offensive line kind of picks up and, you know, seven and seven and five still gives the Gamecocks some recruiting ammunition and get to eight wins with the bowl game and maybe a little bit higher, but um, yeah, I'm, it would be, unprofessional of me to sit here and say, I still think the Gamecocks can win nine or 10 games. I'm just not going to do that to you guys. But with all that said, let's, let's put the South Carolina, North Carolina game to bed and move on to what else happened in the sec last week. Uh, we're going to do a, a team by team blow by right here. Just for those of you that didn't have time to check the box scores, maybe watch any of these games, just so you have an idea of what the rest of the conference did. Um, the number one team in the nation, back-to-back defending national champs, Georgia Bulldogs, took care of Tennessee Martin. They won 48-7. Carson Beck made his debut at quarterback, and he had uh, 294 yards on 31 passes, had one touchdown pass, rushed for another one. Uh, Georgia offensive line didn't allow a sack, and as a team, Georgia passed for 400 yards and rushed for 159, and the defense only gave up 262 yards, so about what you've come to expect from Georgia over the last couple of years, and especially against an overmatched team like UT Martin. Alabama, a similar story to Georgia. Alabama was ranked number three in the country in the latest poll. They won 56-7 over Middle Tennessee State. Um, new quarterback Jalen Milrow got the start for Alabama. Um, 194 yards on 18 pass attempts, three touchdowns in the air, added 48 yards and two touchdowns on seven carries on the ground. Uh Tommy Reese's first game at, as offensive coordinator at Alabama, and you know his offense put up 431 yards of total offense and looked pretty crisp doing it. And Alabama only allowed 211 yards on defense. Uh, the Tennessee Virginia game, 
I don't know what you take from it. I mean, I'm Virginia's just not a very good team. Um, this was a neutral site game. Virginia um, didn't really put up much of a fight at all. Tennessee ended up winning 49-13. Uh, Joe Milton, Tennessee quarterback, 21 of 30 pass attempts, 201, 201 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Tennessee had seven players combined for 287 yards rushing and five touchdowns. Tennessee's defense looked very stout, forcing four sacks and 11 tackles for loss against a just an overmatched Virginia team. And Virginia only had 201 total yards. So take what you will from it. I mean, anytime you, you clobber a, a Power 5 team, you, know, you can't act like that was nothing. But Virginia is probably one of the worst, if not the worst, teams in the ACC this year. And one of the more surprising results of the weekend, uh, Sunday night, LSU lost in blowout fashion to Florida State. Uh, Florida State won the game 45-24. LSU, I think, was number four or five in the country. They've fallen all the way to 14th in the country, and Florida State's now fourth in the country. Um, It was a really competitive game in the first half. And, um, you know, for those of you that don't know, my wife actually attended Florida State for graduate school. So I was watching this game with her, and she was really, really happy. But um, in the second half, Florida State just really poured it on the Bayou, the Bayou Bengals. Um, LSU generated plenty of total yards to win this game. I mean, LSU had 458 yards of total offense, and that, that's enough. But they just couldn't keep up with the Seminoles on the scoreboard. Florida State outscored LSU 31-7 in the second half. And Florida State really did look like one of the best teams in the nation while doing so. Um, Jordan Travis, the quarterback from Florida State, was the story of the game. He had 380 yards combined through the air on the ground and accounted for five touchdowns. Number 20 in the polls this week, Ole Miss piled up all kinds of points and yards, winning 73-7 over Mercer. Ole Miss quarterbacks combined for 524 yards passing, and two of them, uh, so Jackson Dart and Spencer Sanders, each threw for over 100 yards with Jackson Dart throwing for 334 and Spencer Sanders 134. Those two combined for six touchdown passes. I wouldn't read much into this game either way. I mean, Mercer stood no chance to compete with Ole Miss, and Ole Miss never really called the dogs off. The score of 73-7 is what happens in situations like that, especially when Lane Kiffin is trying to get his offense right and he's going to run through quarterbacks. I mean, have two guys throw for 100 yards in the game just – I mean, regardless, you know, have one throw for 300 and one throw for 134. I mean, that's regardless of competition. That's pretty cool. Um, new to the ranks, 23, Texas A&M beat New Mexico 52-10. Uh, A&M looked highly efficient in this one. They scored touchdowns on their first five drives of the game. A&M only accumulated 411 yards of, of offense, but was very methodical and scored at will to start the game. Not sure what you can take from this game, Texas A&M. Just has a lot of talent, and you know we're completely overmatching um, what anything New Mexico could do. Kentucky beat Ball State. They beat Ball State 44-14. Um, Wildcat Devin Leary made his debut after transferring from NC State. Um, so Kentucky has a, another transfer quarterback after Will Levis transferred, I think, from Penn State. Now they get Devin Leary from NC State, and he kind of looked hit or miss to me. He had, you know, completed 18 to 31 passes for 241 yards, a touchdown, interception. Uh, this game was actually 7-3 Ball State after the first quarter before Kentucky put 20 points up in the second quarter and had a 23-7 lead at halftime. 
Uh, Kentucky just put this game out of reach, but I wouldn't say they looked good doing it. Um, yeah, so I wouldn't read much into that. You know, I'm going to run through this stuff kind of quickly, guys. I mean, I just want to talk about what is actually out there um, in the SEC. Missouri beat South Dakota 35-10. to This game was um, effectively over in the first half when Missouri took a 28-3 to lead to halftime. Uh, notable still, though, Missouri managed 226 yards passing and over 200 yards rushing. Um, I've been keeping an eye on this guy, but former five-star wide receiver Luther Burden III had a pretty big game, had seven catches for 96 yards and a touchdown. Uh, to me, this is Missouri's the same Missouri team they've always been. They're going to be around 500 in the conference. I'm not too worried about Missouri, but maybe I should be because they whoop our butts every single year. Uh, the Florida Gators fell 24-11 at Utah in what can only be called an ugly game. Florida fans are up in arms at the moment, and Billy Napier is definitely taking it on the head at the moment. Um, Florida's offense looked a bit like South Carolina's this past week. Wisconsin transfer quarterback Graham Mertz completed 31 passes for 333 yards on 44 attempts for one touchdown, one interception, but Florida managed only 13 yards rushing on 21 carries in the game. Uh, Utah had five sacks and seven tackles for lost and for loss in Florida just didn't look good. You know, South Carolina and Florida fans might be in a competition to see who is more upset after week one. Uh, we'll see if Florida and South Carolina to that extent can um, get off the mat, but it was, it wasn't pretty for the Gators. And a lot of folks are kind of wondering if Florida can win even five games this year. So I thought Florida's defense outside of a couple, you know, Crucial breakdowns played pretty well. I'm kind of like South Carolina, so they might just South Carolina and Florida might just be in the same place right now. Uh, don't look now, but Vanderbilt is atop of the SEC standings after starting the season two and zero. Hawaii beat or Vanderbilt beat Hawaii 35-28 in week zero. Um, I really thought Vanderbilt should have beat Hawaii by more than that, and then they ended up winning 47-13 over Alabama A&M um, this past week. Not quite ready to believe that Vanderbilt is on the come up right now, but still 2-0 is 2-0. So far on the season, Vandy is averaging 252 yards passing per game and 127 yards rushing per game, and their opponents are only going to get tougher from here on out. Uh, Some quick wins here. Auburn beat UMass 59-14. They rushed 44 times for 289 yards and six total rushing touchdowns. Six players had at least 30 yards rushing. Auburn only com- only completed um, what's that? 56% of their passes on defense. They gave up a bit over 300 total yards. I'm not ready to call Auburn Auburn back by any stretch of the imagination based on this game. Arkansas beat Western Carolina 56-13. What um, one of the things that I found interesting about this game is Arkansas is known for their offensive line and rushing attack, but they only had 105 yards rushing on 36 carries for an average of 2.9 yards per carry. So keep an eye on Arkansas there because if if they can't run the ball against Western Carolina, uh, they might be in the Florida and the South Carolina boat when it comes to rushing attack. Uh, Really quick on Arkansas, quarterback K.J. Jefferson, 18-23, 246 yards, three touchdowns. Still looks like a stud quarterback to me. Uh, Lastly, Mississippi State beat Southeastern Louisiana 48-7. Don't know what to take from this. Um, just Will Rogers was Will Rogers, 20 of 29, 227 yards in the air, two touchdowns. 
Bulldogs rushed for 39, rushed 39 times for 298 yards and averaged 7.6 yards per carry. Again, I don't know what to take from here. The big question for State is if they're going to abandon the air raid and become more balanced this year, even you know more you know relying on the rushing attack. I just can't imagine that they're not going to be throwing the ball with Will 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 Rogers, um, Will Rogers at quarterback. So around the SEC, not much to take away from except um, South Carolina, Florida, and LSU. LSU had. Um, SEC and national championship preseason expectations, and while the SEC championship is still on the table, it's not often you see a team with a 21-point loss on their resume make it to the college football playoffs. So they're in win-everything mode the rest of the season, and LSU is just not a team that I would want to count out when it comes to win-everything mode. <laughs> they, they're going to be they're going to be fiery, and we'll see what, what they do, but they're going to be on the attack. Uh, Florida wasn't expected to compete for an SEC East or maybe even the top 25 this season, but just what an ugly game, and they got a pretty tough schedule ahead of them. You know, maybe they, maybe they won't even get to six wins this year. South Carolina's going to have to figure out their offensive line, get players healthy to have the type of 8-9, 10 win season some folks like me were talking about in the preseason. Um, just a quick note here, you know, look around the SEC statistics, and Spencer Rattler leads the SEC in passing yards per game. Um, A.J. Swan actually has the most passing yards, but he's played two games. So Spencer's only 99 yards um, behind A.J. Swan. So I fully expect Spencer Rattler to um, potentially be the leading SEC passer after the Furman game. Xavier Leggett leads the SEC in receiving yards with 178, which is 34 yards clear of Jaden McGowan from Vanderbilt, who's already played two games. If we look around the national scene for just a bit, and I'll give you my early takeaways, my top eight after week one, I think that you really have Georgia, Michigan, and Alabama in some order as the top three teams in the country for me For me at this point. And I think you just draw a name from a hat and then, you know, draw one, two, three, and that would be my top three if I was actually, you know, part of the AP poll or anything like that. Um, then I think the next five teams, you have Florida State, Southern Cal, Tennessee, Penn State, Notre Dame in some order. Um, I I just don't know what to think about Ohio State. I mean, they always get the benefit of the doubt in my mind, but that offense just did not look great. Florida State, you beat a team by 21 points. That's, you know, top five team in the country. You got to be somewhere in the top four, top five. Southern Cal, I just don't know how many teams are going to be able to score with them. Um, I, I, I like Southern Cal a little bit. Um, but yeah, they, they're going to be putting up points for a long time and they'd have a, you know, they don't have that tough of a schedule. Uh, Tennessee, say what you want and say what I want about Virginia, but that was impressive what they did. Um, Penn state, I just think Penn state's solid. I don't know if they're, you know, top five in the country, but they're solid. And then the Notre Dame's impressed me as well. So the SEC, in my mind, is still the premier conference in the nation, top to bottom. I think that you probably have three of the top eight teams in the country in the SEC, maybe more. Maybe LSU gets back there, but I just couldn't I couldn't keep them in like my top eight after the score against Florida State. I couldn't leave the national talk without mentioning Clemson dropping an absolute egg in Durham Monday night against Duke. I've been saying this on the show all offseason season. And been saying this to you know folks I talk to around the program, folks that are in the industry that I'm in, and just really my friends for the past two years. But I do think that Clemson is on the downswing. 
Sure, Clemson may win eight to nine games this year, but there are teams in the ACC that can beat them, and I haven't been able to say that for a while. In the past, I would have expected Clemson to to run the table in the ACC outside of a wacky upset here or there, but the game against Duke wasn't a wacky upset. Clemson was just flat-out beat against Duke. And you look at Clemson's schedule, they still have Florida State at Clemson, Miami on the road, NC State on the road, Notre Dame at home, North Carolina at home, and then they end the season at South Carolina. As of right now, just what I saw on Monday night, I think best case for Clemson is to go kind of four and two or three and three in those games. And, you know, a lot of the Clemson folks I talk to say the same thing. Florida State and Notre Dame are probably you're probably going to be an underdog in both of those games. You're probably going to be an underdog to North Carolina at this point. So, I mean, you're talking about Florida State, Notre Dame, and North Carolina. You could be staring down the barrel of an 8-4 and four season, a 7-5 and five season, and that's something that I don't think um, a lot of people around the country just that didn't pay closely attention to what's happened at Clemson lately would have said. Clemson has got to get better skill position players at wide receiver. I mean, I couldn't believe how slow they were. And this isn't me bashing Clemson. I mean, it, just like I did earlier when I talk about like my top eight teams in the country, I would have to talk about Clemson if I thought they were there. Um, right now, Clemson shouldn't be ranked. But this is a Gamecock show, and, and I know that people are interested in Clemson. So that's my take on it. Um, we'll see what happens there. But they got a lot to work on, just like the Gamecocks do. On to Furman, um, I kind of did a light, a light deep dive into Furman. Um, and look, if you want to go on the website, go on the Big Spur. We have a lot of guys that do a lot of deeper dives into the opponents than I do. I mean, Ben Briner does an amazing job, and his 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 um, article usually comes out on Thursdays before the games. And I think it either came out yesterday or today. But he goes deep. He does a deep dive into Furman. He does it every week. So. If you're looking for a deep dive, make sure you join the Big Spur message boards because it's just going to be more than you know I can do in the amount of time I have for you know a weekly show. It would take me 30 minutes just to read Ben Briner's article out loud to you. Um, but on to Furman. Last week, Furman beat Tennessee Tech by a score of 45 to 10. Furman starting quarterback Tyler Huff completed 15 of 27 passes for 172 yards with no touchdowns and one interception. Furman rushed 39 times for 196 yards and four touchdowns, averaging five yards per carry. Um, of note, starting quarterback Tyler Huff rushed 10 times for 42 yards with a long of 16. So the Gamecocks are going to have to have to keep an eye on Tyler Huff. I don't know exactly how much he's going to rush game in, game out, but he did a little bit of running in their, in their um, win over Tennessee Tech. Furman had nine players record a reception with long receptions of 45 yards, 24 yards, 18 yards, and 13 yards, respectfully. Um, the longest rushes of the day were a 39-yard rush, a 27-yard rush, a 16-yard rush, an 11-yard rush, and a 10-yard rush. So five rushing plays and four um, passing plays that Gamecocks would consider close to. Um, oh, gosh, what, is, what does Shane call this? Close to explosive plays. So Gamecocks are going to have to pay close attention to that. On defense, Furman forced four interceptions, forced three fumbles, recovered two of those fumbles for a total of six turnovers forced. So 
something to keep in mind there. I know Shane talked about it on his on his press conference, but on defense, Furman forced four interceptions, three fumbles, and recovered two. And and that that's something that's part of Furman's mo. So the Gamecocks are going to have to be very careful with the football. Um, Furman scored their first tee of the game on an interception return for a touchdown. Um, Furman's next two offensive possessions against Tennessee Tech were a punt and an interception. Then the rest of their drives in the first half in the first half ended in touchdown, touchdown, missed field goal. So, you know, it's not doesn't seem like an absolutely explosive offense from Furman. Um, to start the second half on offense, Furman went punt, 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 field goal, fumble, touchdown, touchdown. So I wouldn't say explosive offense. An offense is going to put up a lot of points. They rely on special teams. They rely on on turnovers. I did go back and look at the past four seasons against Power 5 schools. Furman has the following results. In 2022, um, and then this might, yeah, 2022, um, Clemson 35, Furman 12. Uh, the year before, NC State 45, Furman 7. I don't think there was anything that next year, and I think in 2019, Virginia Tech 24, Furman 17. So, you know, Furman's averaging, if I do my math really quick here, let's see, 12 plus 17 plus 7 divided by 3. They're averaging 12 points per game against against Power 5 opponents. Um, and they're giving up, you know, close to 35 points per game. I really expect that to, you know, pretty much be the case this weekend. I know that Shane Beamer has stressed to his team that, that you know, that Furman is not a game to be taken lightly. Furman has um, the tape on the South Carolina North Carolina game. They're going to try and attack the Gamecocks' offensive line every which way they can to try and force Spencer into a bad bad play, bad possession, bad something to try and get interception. But you know how how successful is that going to be? That's something that I don't know. In 2022, Clemson was a step down of their previous few few seasons on offense, but still had an elite defense. Uh, Clemson scored touchdowns on four of their first five possessions, and the game was 28 to nine against Furman at halftime in 2022. Um, to Shane's point, Shane mentioned this in the press conference. Furman quarterback Tyler Huff was 31 of 40 for 259 yards and one touchdown and one interception against Clemson. Um, last year, uh, Furman did rush for 125 yards. Uh, Furman gave up two turnovers to Clemson, so Clemson did force two turnovers against Furman. And I will say this, DJ Ugawalalelula, how you pronounce that guy's last name, at Clemson had a pretty good day. He went 21 of 27 for 231 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, and he also rushed for 36 yards on five carries. And and so I say this to say, like, when DJ had such a good game against Furman, I'm not concerned about Spencer Rattler having a good game against Furman. I'm not concerned about the offensive skill skill players against Furman. And I shouldn't be concerned about the offensive line against Furman. But it's hard to shake what you saw with your own eyes against North Carolina. You know, if South Carolina was truly tipping plays, maybe they get that fixed. Maybe the defense doesn't always know what's coming. Maybe the defense can't pin their ears back. Um, you know, I just don't think that Furman is a team that South Carolina or their fans should ever be scared of. Respect, for sure. I mean, I have a friend that played football at Furman, and you know, I think he would tell me right now that he wouldn't expect Furman to win this game. There's just a lot of doom and gloom 
around the South Carolina program at the moment based on one game against a team that's now ranked in the top 20 in the country. And, you know, there's no reason that South Carolina shouldn't win this game by, you know, three, four possessions. To quote Lou Holtz, nothing is ever as good or as bad as it seems. And I can't imagine for the life of me that the offensive line being as bad as they were against North Carolina against Furman. Furman just doesn't have the talent up front on defense that North Carolina does. I don't care what anybody says. They just don't. They might have people that try hard. They might do really well in their level of competition. And, heck, South Carolina might not have a Power 5 offensive line. And if that's the case, then, yeah, that's scary. But it's just not the level of defensive line that South Carolina is going to play the rest of the season. Um if the South Carolina offensive line is truly as bad this week as they were against North Carolina, then yeah, I mean, anything can happen, uh, especially against a team that can force turnovers at, the, at a clip that, that Furman evidently can. And I guess anything can happen. But I just think that the offense will be good enough this week. I think the Gamecocks are going to score 30-plus points. I don't think the defense is going to give up more than 20 points. Um and I am probably likely less until there's potentially some garbage time points. I, I don't know. But, I mean, outside of Furman scoring, uh, turning turnovers into instant points, you know, returning an interception for a touchdown or a fumble for a touchdown or a punt return for a touchdown, I don't think the Furman offense is going to be able to score 20 points in this game. So maybe some garbage, point, garbage time points at the end for Furman, but – I think Spencer is too dialed in, and Furman just isn't good enough to knock him off the way he's playing right now. I don't know if Juice is going to play this week. I don't think that Nick Imanwara is going to play this week. If it's me, I'm holding Juice out this week, but you know, I don't know that for sure. But even without Juice and Nick, South Carolina will be fine here. Now, Georgia looms after all this. you know, and All bets are off for South Carolina staying even reasonably competitive against Georgia's defense. But we don't got to talk about Georgia this week. We're talking about Furman. And this week, South Carolina gets it done. So I'm taking South Carolina to win the game. And I'm taking South Carolina to win the game 37-13. to Final prediction, South Carolina 37, Furman 13. So lastly on the show tonight, let's talk quickly about my gambling picks. Last week, I went 2-3. and three. Um, As far as those picks, Tennessee covered against Virginia. Penn State covered against West Virginia. Ohio State did not cover against Indiana. Boise State did not cover against Washington. And TCU did not cover against Colorado. So two and three so far this year. Let's look at five more games this week. Let's get on the the positive train with my money. So let's go. I'm taking Notre Dame to cover seven and a half points at NC State this week. And I don't love this because I saw I saw a stat yesterday that 90 plus percent of the money was on Notre Dame. However, the line was holding at minus seven and a half. So if 90 percent of the no, I'm sorry, 90 percent of the bets, not 90 percent of the money. So if 90 percent of the small tickets are on on Notre Dame, there's some big money that's keeping that line at minus seven and a half. I'll be really interested to watch this play out because I could see some of these Vegas Sharks just manipulating this line right now with big money on the on the NC State side just to swing it back at the last minute. So this is one I could lose my money on, but for now I'm sticking with Notre Dame minus 7.5. 
I'll take Colorado to cover three at home versus Nebraska. And, and sometimes y'all, you know, when I talk about Nebraska this year, if I, if I pick some of these games, a lot of times it's just a bet against Satterfield. And right now it's a bet against Marcus Satterfield being able to keep up with what I saw Colorado do to Texas Christian on Saturday. Now, I'm not here to say that I think TCU has the best defense in the country. In fact, I think their defense is one of the worst. And you look at their last two games, they've given up over 120 points or something like that. I can't remember how many Georgia scored on them last year, but it was bad in the national title game. So I just can't imagine, you know, regardless of how bad TCU's defense is, that Colorado can't can't cover three in the first home game. That stadium is going to be electric. It's going to be crazy in Colorado. Uh, Nebraska had Minnesota dead to right in week one and still found a way to lose that game. And if Satterfield is really calling plays in Nebraska, I'm going to bet against him every week I possibly can in a situation where it looks right. So give me Colorado to cover three at home against Nebraska. I'll take Texas A&M to cover four at Miami. Um, in a battle of who can spend the most NIL money and tank their programs faster, I'll take Texas A&M to cover four because nobody goes to Miami home games. They're not going to have a lot of fan support. Um, and that could be um, you know, something that doesn't really help Texas A&M because you know, they might be dis- just as disinterested as Miami. But I think that A&M just has more talent overall than Miami does at this point, and I don't think Miami is quite where it needs to be yet to compete with an SEC team. And an SEC team that can be sneaky in the SEC West hunt. So, taking Texas A&M to cover four at Miami. I'm going to say Alabama covers seven at home against Texas. Alabama is still better than Texas. Alabama very rarely has a letdown game in these situations and these types of games, and especially at a game at home. I don't think Texas is tough enough mentally to come into Tuscaloosa and compete with compete with Alabama. And to be honest, y'all, I actually like Alabama kind of big in this game. I think that Texas gave Alabama a scare last year. I don't think it'll happen again. I think that Nick Saban, I think he keeps receipts just like Dion keeps receipts, just like Shane Beamer keeps receipts. And, you know, Saban and, and Sarkeesian, they know each other really, really well. Um, I, I'm taking Alabama to cover big. I think they're going to cover the seven. I think they're going to win big. So, Follow me if you want on that one. Um, the last one here is kind of an off-the-wall one. And I, and I kind of mentioned this earlier when I talked about Southern Cal, but I'm going to take Southern Cal plus – I mean, I'm going to take Stanford plus 30 at Southern Cal. Um, and that might sound weird. Stanford might be one of the worst teams in the country. But until I see Southern Cal hold a team to less than 28 points consistently, I'm just not going to bet such high numbers on them to cover. Southern Cal can obviously score with anyone in the country, but I just can't trust them not to give up a lot of points along the way. And 30 points, you know, on separate side bets that I haven't put on the show, I have bet on I bet on Southern Cal to cover, um, I guess it was, what, week zero. And they didn't. Um, and they, I don't know if they covered this past week, but I'm just not touching that. That line is pretty big for me. And, and Stanford's 1-0. I don't, I'm, I, until I see it, I'm not going to believe it. Um, so recap those really quick for you in case you missed them. Notre Dame to cover seven and a half against NC State. Colorado to cover three at home against Nebraska. Texas A&M to cover four at Miami. Alabama covers seven at home against Texas. And Stanford plus 30 at Southern Cal. 
going to try and do better than my two and three start on the season. Um, so we'll keep track of this along the season. If, and, and at some point you might just want to start fading me. Um, you know, if I'm not hot, you know, start fading me and maybe you'll win money that way. But um, really appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate y'all giving me the most valuable thing you have, which is your time. Um, time is so valuable. And the fact that you, you all, you know, choose to share that time with me really means a lot. And I can't wait till Monday night. Uh, get ready for Monday night. We'll have the live show. We'll have a good time. I hope that as many of you can join me as possible. Hopefully we're celebrating a big Gamecock victory and we're all scheming up ways to see how South Carolina can potentially beat Georgia in Athens in, in two weeks. But um, just remember, you can always reach me at late night Gamecock show at gmail.com or you can find me on the Big Spur message boards under the username Matt Anderson. Again, thank you so much for listening tonight and um, I will talk to you in three dimensions on Monday. Have a great one. Bye.